Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Manny Escamilla again, uh, the Full Metal Archivist, coming in for podcast episode number three. Uh, today, we're going to be uh, joined uh, also uh, via Zoom uh, by uh, Professor Moises. Uh, oh, man, I'm forgetting his last name, but I'll just call him Professor Moy for, for short. Um, so he's uh, coming in to talk about food systems, uh, food resilience, um, a little bit of uh, spirituality and kind of cultural heritage mixed in. So I know we're uh, supposed to be a podcast uh, focused on uh, policy and politics, but, you know, it's one of these things that we don't realize that just how much of our food system really kind of um, yeah, has political considerations to it. So, you know, uh, it's kind of a little bit of a longer um, uh, longer clip that we're going to be uh, presenting today, but I think it's well worth it. And it's one of these things where we have uh, a per- person like Moy uh, in the community that's um, out there really specializing uh, in an area of interest and giving back uh, to Santa Ana in his own particular way. Um, he's worked a lot on uh, sustainable urban agriculture uh, for different uh, community gardens. Uh, currently, I think at a farm over at the Heritage Museum of uh, Orange County and uh, has done some uh, interesting work that is even featured in a, in a local documentary. So we're going to be uh, providing a, a link to that as well. And uh, he's looking for some help. So that's it. The other thing that we're hoping to do here is to, to make sure that folks that are doing some good work out in the community get some uh, some time that are, you know, so that work can be highlighted and uh, that if anyone's interested uh, they can join them so uh, again uh, thank you all for listening in today and we're going to be going to the interview now Okay, so uh, yeah, thank you all for uh, listening. Uh, just uh, here with our guest, uh, Mr. Uh, Professor. Uh, uh, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Moises Placencia. I'm a lecturer of anthropology, and uh, yeah, my focus is urban agriculture and uh, paleoethnobotany. Ooh, okay, and that is at uh, Santa Ana College, correct? In other places? Uh, Santa Ana well? College, actually, I uh, teach at Calcio Fullerton, Coastline, uh, everywhere, you know. I, variety of subjects. I have a food and anthropology class, which is the global perspectives of food and culture. I also teach physical, cultural, all, all, the whole the whole gamut, um, minus archaeology. But um, yeah, so I, I'm just like, I consider myself like a, just a lecture, general lecturer in anthropology. You know, and on average, it takes about like, like my boss was mm-hmm. adjuncting or like doing part-time work as a professor for 18 years before she got full-time. So all right, uh, the, the hard life. Of, Anna, but yeah. Hard life of the adjunct. Yeah, yeah, you know, highwayman. But uh, I mean, right now it's actually pretty. With this COVID stuff, works out pretty nicely because I get to just hang out at home. And uh, aside from the madness of my children, you know, um, uh, it's you know I'm still being able to make an income, so it's not it's not too bad. But, right. but yeah, uh, but my focus is is uh, is um, urban agriculture, and especially in Santana. <laughs> now, can you talk a little bit about your connections to Santana? Uh, so yeah, I was born and raised in Santa Ana. My um, my dad came here um, in the 1970s, uh, and he actually was the head of the AYSO. Uh, he was actually a professional soccer player in Mexico. So what is the and, a- AYSO? Uh, the Orange County Youth Soccer Organization. Okay. I never played. I sucked. I have two left feet. Dos patas izquierdas. No, 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 that's saying. But uh, yeah, just like as a general rule, we'll try to like um, uh, break down the acronyms as much as we can, uh, just because um, again, general audience, and sometimes a lot of us don't know. Like I had, I've always seen that acronym, but I had no idea what it was, other than it was soccer something. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, huh? no, no, no. Uh, no, thank you for asking. No, um, I, guess I, I still I didn't know what it was until his business card with his name on it said Orange County Walker. Um, but uh, let's see. Uh, so I grew up in Santa Ana. My mom uh, was from Jalisco. Both my parents are from Jalisco. And um, I spent uh, my entire life there until I was 23, 24. But I went to, um, let's see, I went to St. Anne's um, Catholic School. And even though I wasn't, I lost my faith really young. And then I went from there to uh, uh, to Greenville. And then from Greenville to uh, MacArthur, MacArthur to modern day. Modern day, I, I found partying. <laughs> you were a monarch. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Modern day. Yeah, I went there for a year, right? So, um, you know, <clears throat> rivals with Servite, you know, and uh, let's see what else. Then from there, I went to Fountain Valley High School, and from Fountain Valley High School, I was a baron for a couple years, and I got uh, I got kicked out for a pretty funny reason, which I I cannot discuss right now, but it's a pretty funny reason. And then uh, next thing you know, I went to um, Saddleback, and I graduated from Saddleback. Then I went to Santa Ana College, or... Orange Coast College, Santa Ana College, Santa Ana College, um, you know, I fell in love with anthropology and the professors there gave me a gateway to thinking about my, um, uh, you know, my culture, my uh, society. And then went to Santa Cruz, uh, spent a lot of time there, went on a few internships to Mexico. Then I kind of uh, got really connected to, um, I was like, with this conversation where I'm, I'm asked by this old Mayan man, he tells me, Hey, what do you grow in your town? You know, so I always like to think about that question as like, oh, you know, well, what do I grow in my town? You know, and then when I came back from Santa Cruz, I was looking at um, agriculture and and then I started to focus on urban agriculture because the big problem is with the urban folks, right? Because the farmers out there, they know the issues or they live the issues every day. Uh, and then I got my master's from Cal State Long Beach, and then I came uh, from Cal State Long Beach to work in the nonprofit sector. So I was working at um, Kid Works for a couple of years. Um, but you know, growing up in Santa Ana, you're the intersection between drugs, violence, and all that kind of stuff. You can see with your family and uh, my family. Well, my sister had a, had a terrible drug addiction, and she ended up um, overdosing on heroin, and she left a couple kids, and that was um, that still was hard. I mean, I mentioned it sometimes, but uh, yeah, it was really hard. So I had to leave the nonprofit world, but I always had like this love for urban ag and. Uh, especially agriculture because there's so many farmer or there's so many people in Santa Ana that have a farming past and they have a real um, beautiful connection that they are carrying with them and like we're not exposed to it we have no idea that they even have it mm-hmm. and all we have to do is ask and I remember asking my mom I was like hey you know have you ever farmed and she's like oh mijo espérate hold <laughs> on wait a minute all right, and then broke it down. She broke it down like, fool, you don't even know what you're doing, you know? Like, broke, broke it down to me because I thought I was going to come to her with knowledge being like an educated college boy, you know? And then she comes to me and she's like, no, sucker, look, it's like this. Ta, sa, 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 sa. That's the way it works. And I was like, wow, damn. You know, teaching me like how to do the growing styles, the seeds, all this kind of really good stuff. And um, I started to work at Santa Ana College in 2013. Uh, and I've uh, had classes there since then. Right, but I also have expanded just to work with uh, uh, other colleges, right? Uh, from Costa Fullerton to Santa Ana College and anything. And uh, yeah, so and I love Santa Ana, grew up semi thug, but right? So, not too much street smarts, more book smarts. But um, my brother was a cholo, 
big old cholo from Kilsen Street. Right. And uh, but he got out of that lifestyle thing. Thank the Lord. And he always taught me what not to do. Right. So I learned from my family through example of all their bad mistakes and all their triumphs. You know, so, yeah, that's my connection. Wow. To, to me, it sounds like, um, I guess, the agriculture, uh, food and kind of kind of cultural uh, connection was very healing for you then. And that, and that seems to be kind of at the center of a lot of the work that I've seen you do. Um yeah, especially I guess um, as you would refer to it on the farm uh, over at the Heritage and in other um, local uh, gardens here. So I don't know if you can talk a little bit about uh, some of that work that you've done. The healing, yeah, yeah. You know, I always like to um, quote a man named Richard Alcocer, right? And uh, he said, um, you know, one thing about the land is it's uh, it's so easy to do. It's you know, it's a universal, you know. And one thing about the land is that uh, at least doing it in an urban environment is we all have to do we all have to work and our work doesn't really always help us meaning that our work adds weight to our lives right so i'll quote him uh, our works are like filthy rags right meaning that they don't clean us our work that we do usually f- for money gets us dirty right it makes us more exhausted more depressed more kind of just uh feeling this weight and burden of the urban environment and when you're working in uh, the urban ag field, right, working in community gardens and whatnot, right? So, oh, yeah, I used to work in community gardens um, through the Grain Project uh, starting in 2010. And I, I was exposed to this court. It was the first um, community garden in Santa Ana, uh, the first urban ag project in uh, in Santa Ana. And uh, that was through um, with uh, not a city, not not the, not when the city, the city had no ownership of it. So it was a nonprofit. And uh, that was a beautiful thing, you know, meaning that we had pretty much we were creating what we ever what we could what we could create without any bureaucracy, right? Outside of the bureaucracy of the nonprofit, but there was like minimal. Right, it was more uh, lateral approval so, rather than uh, top down. <laughs> yeah, let's just say it was full of ex- executive decisions. <laughs> you know, um, so uh, doing doing that work, you know, just being exposed to folks. Uh, this man, Richard Alcocer, he says, uh, you know, working the land, right? And I saw him. He was he. Um, he was severely autistic, right? And uh, I, when I would see him work work the land and be so delicate with things, he, he said this. He said, working is like filthy rags, but this is not like work. He said that this is helping heal you, right? I was like, well, what do you mean, right? So he said, because this place challenge you, challenges you three, um, mind, body, and soul. Like, well, what does that mean? Wow, what does that mean? He said, it challenges your mind because you have to know what you're doing, right? Know what you're doing in agriculture. It challenges your body because you're physically active. And then it uh, challenges your soul because when you're working the land, you're praying without knowing, right? So you actually have this deep meditative moment that you connect to uh, that you don't really realize until you are um, kind of in it. All right, he says, as you work and do this work uh, with other people who are also kind of been hurt and have wounds from the urban environment, uh, you start to kind of heal together because you're being challenged in these three ways. And as you become healed, uh, you heal with somebody else. And this creates solidarity because you're experiencing that is compassionate and helps build on each other's experiences and doing it together. And then you get strawberries, you know. Of course. <laughs> All right. So, All right, you get- so, yeah. You get a tangible product at the end, which is very, very nice and something that's shareable, something that we all need. 
Um, yeah, and it's quite literally is the, the nourishment, right? So it's uh, nourishing both yeah. the, the like you were saying, the mind, body, and soul. Um, you know, so when we're talking like in in our little pre-chat, you had brought up some concepts I think from this urban agriculture field that are really helpful to think of just um, in a city or kind of in a community and town environment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as far as how we are part of this, uh, these greater ecosystems. And there was one term that you use that I had never heard before, but I, it really resonated with me and was the term uh, food shed. So instead, oh, yeah. of, so instead of yeah. a watershed, a food shed. So I don't know if like uh, for our listeners, we can kind of you know, talk about um, that and how it applies to like a place like Santa Ana and like how do these larger systems impact us? Well, yeah. So let's think about this right now. Um, like right now with COVID, right, with the COVID virus, uh, everyone is is panic buying, right? Um, and they're panic buying st- stuff that makes you focus on where food ends, right? Meaning like they're focusing on buying toilet paper, but they're not thinking about where food begins, right? So I think that the way it connects to this idea of this um, uh, is that, okay, we have, okay, the COVID virus has really made us all reflect upon this idea of instability in the food system, right? So I always, I'll ask the audience, you know, how many of you have gone out uh, during this time period and haven't been able to find something they're looking for, right? And if you haven't, then what's up with that, right? Uh, so there's like this crazy, um, there's crazy challenges that were, that are coming more apparent in the in the food system because of the COVID virus, right? Uh, so, first and foremost, think about, about like, okay, we have this uh, a food chain uh, supply system that is having troubles with this distribution, right? Like from California to Florida, right? What we're seeing is people are people in the field uh, who are farm workers or farmers, they have to dump their um, that they have to dump their their crops in a landfill, let it rot on the vine in the field or pour it down the drain, right? And this is like miles from where we have people waiting in gigantic lines for uh, for uh, food pantries, for food, food from food banks, right? So it's like, uh, this is like a big, it's the big thing is that this disconnect that we're experiencing, right? Because of this virus is highlighting things that already existed um, and, uh, and highlights really important issues that we're gonna see later. Like what's gonna happen if we run out of other things, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, but yeah, is that is that is that a good good, uh, good start off? I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and again, this is um, yeah, we try to keep the conversations fairly um, yeah, open. Uh, there's no real kind of a preset agenda. I think it's really more right. of a yeah, the ability to share your your love and passion, and um, and, okay. and kind of showing how those things impact um, you know our fellow residents here so yeah any, anything that you think they should kind of know about um i i, I realized i think it, you guys are just you were just coming off of a um food symposium right so yeah. over at, it was it that over at santa Ana college as well oh it was at fullerton college oh, it was at fullerton, at fullerton. Yeah. Cool. cool so we'll definitely um you know highlight any of the uh, links you want to share with that or you know any kind of main takeaways that you you had from from that event oh um, yeah yeah uh, yeah, so I mean, the main takeaway is um, uh, one of uh, Alina Gregorio. Um, she's a professor of geography. She she highlighted this really important thing. Okay, um, this the whole this whole virus is kind of like really highlighting uh, a lot of the issues with our entire system, especially the capitalist system. You know, because um, like I said that only um, he says to see how ill prepared this system makes us when it can be defeated by a 75 cent mask 
right, is a major issue, right? To think that um, our disconnection from where we get food, right, is is such is now here is now so critical and should be part of our agenda right because uh we have so many people who live uh in the city right santa Ana is one of the densest populations in the u.s right and everyone's disconnected from the whole process of the food growing right and this also means like a zoonotic disease right like um uh, the the you know you know what zoonotic diseases? So always assume the remember like general audience. So like any term you can okay. break down for us, please break down. Okay, so zoonotic zoonotic disease is okay. Um, let's say like the bird flu, the bird flu, uh, which is I think SARS. SARS came from a bird, right? Meaning that they grew all these birds and well, actually, and so, these houses. So, so sorry, like, was a thing. No, it wasn't birds. So H one N one was the the avian flu, um, and then the SARS was uh, likely another um, bat coronavirus. Is my understanding? Um, yeah, well. yeah. So like, okay, so about this case. So like the uh, the the bird flu and the swine flu, right? There's two different. I think 2009 was one, and then 2013 was one. Uh, so or uh, so think about this with the swine flu H one N one the swine flu. That came from a bat being close to a enclosure where they were raising farm uh, farmed pigs. All right, so like the the bats flew close to where the where the uh, pigs were living. It pooped on something, and the next thing you know, the virus is created and it kills a bunch of people. All right, the same thing happened with the bird flu, where we have something similar. Right, it's a it's a bat origins. Right, that um, ended up with birds. Right, with the industrial production of, of chickens and birds, and it's because of the overuse of antibiotics, which makes them mutate. Right, and the overuse and uh, and it's this uh, connection with areas that have been deforested. Right, so imagine we have all these huge areas that are being deforested, deforested, deforested. Right, and we have and we're encroaching, 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 and we have our our giant factories, right? We call them CAFOs, which is um, like a giant um, CAFO is, hold on one second. I'll get describe that more intensely. Uh, CAFO is a concentrated animal feeding operation, hmm. right? Now, that's where they have animals grown in just like so like little tiny packages. You right, know what so I mean? like so this tiny. is like uh, for the folks that travel up and down California in the car when you're up, up and down the yeah. five freeway and you get a sudden smell off of... Uh, just the middle of that you don't even know where but you just get a smell yeah i roll my windows down i love that smell i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) it smells like it smells like a little bit of uh death a little bit yeah yeah poor poor buddies right so all these areas that they have to deforest right they have a close and closer contact with animals not only that but they're eliminating animals right you're you're reducing biodiversity i'm not sure if y'all know this and it seems like we're so disconnected but uh Living in the urban environment, we are all we are connected to every part of the globe, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that um, from the orange juice that you drink, that's from Florida, to the beef that you produce, that might be from Australia, right? To corn that you might eat that comes from Mexico, or tomatoes that grow from um, some part of you know South America, right? So everything we're all interconnected, right? So we we, we lose sight of it because we just see it at the supermarket. You know, um, but what's going on is this we're experiencing a mass extinction that hasn't happened uh, since the freaking dinosaurs died 65 million years ago with the asteroid. Right. And um, the 
lack of biodiversity in the in the jungles or the lack of different animals in the jungle is actually creating a closer connection to viruses meaning like okay think about this in one area of let's say like the amazon which was just burned right mm-hmm. just burned like crazy right you can, you can find a million viruses right and then like the, that being burned specifically to add to grain or beef production right so that you know it's like the, the yeah. thing that we're forgetting is that you know those, those um it's not just for mining or oil or anything it's like literally just to feed people and then to extract more value out of the jungle for food yeah for food yeah so it's that 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 system itself is putting our species in danger because there are viruses all over that place that are unique to those places. Right, and we're just and becoming like, more and more in this, contact. Unless we stop eating beef or greatly reduce our consumption of meats, we will have another pandemic, and it might be worse. Yeah, no, and that's and that's the thing that's so like. Um, is terrifying about this whole experience is that this is a bad scenario, but it's not like the worst possible scenario. And um, you know, there's still oh. other, you know, other things that could have gone wrong or could have been, it could have been worse. Um, so this is, you know, scary enough to shut down and uh, the economies and really kind of create food lines that we haven't seen since the great depression. Right. I think now we're, yeah. we're going to be getting visuals of uh, folks lining up along Bristol to Levita to then getting into main place quite literally, you know, this thing that's about like three mi- a three mile long food line that we're having on Sundays uh, for everyone trying to get uh, food out mm-hmm. of Main Place. Like, th- again, these are this is an experience that has never uh, occurred in our history, um, you know, n- n- until we go back to the modern, n- history. modern history, until we go back to the Depression era. And it's not even the worst case scenario. Yeah, no, I mean, the worst case scenario could be, let's say, uh, we have the Spanish flu, killed 1% of the U.S., or 1% of the world, right? Then we have the uh, smallpox pandemic, or epidemic that uh, wiped out 90% of the indigenous population of the Americas. So, population that was at once 134 million uh, was reduced to 13.4 million. Right, with, with cities right? larger was, than European capitals at the time by, like, factors of 2 to 10, two to ten. Well, like the Nostitlan, right? Like that's a good example um, to think about, right? So like think about, okay, like where we have the Nostitlan, which was present-day Mexico City, used Chinampa systems, completely sustainable agriculture. And all of a sudden we have, um, uh, because Cortez left, intentionally left two men there. He knew that disease was a thing. He left two men in, in uh, the Nostitlan, right? Actually left them out on the borders. You know, the virus had spread. The by the time the the um, Cortez came back, and if you guys don't know Hernan Cortez, he was the conquistador, right, the conqueror of, of, of Mexico, of the Aztecs, not of Mexico, but the Aztecs, right. And um, by the time he got back, the entire city was 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 crippled by the pandemic, right, by this uh, smallpox disease, which had um, completely wiped out then uh, most of the fighting army, right, and and doing so. Uh, destroyed and crippled the entire the, their entire civilization thousands thousands of years 14,000 years of, of civilization gone right hmm. um, and what's crazy is what do we have left seeds hmm. right we still have their corn seeds and we still have the chinampas of Xochimilco and growing strategies that have existed because the people still needed to eat even when they were dying you know Right, and you know, we bring up uh, this phrase, and you use the phrase "sustainable," uh, you know, completely sustainable, 
Um, and uh, you know, just if you can explain a little bit more, kind of what a chinampa, uh, uh, you know, what, what what exactly that is. Yeah, yeah. So a chinampa it was a system of, of agriculture. Um, like, just kind of paint this picture, right? We have um, er, uh, the Mexica, right? This is like before they were called the Aztecs. The Aztecs are kind of looking for a place, and they find a eagle sitting on a prickly pear cactus in the middle of a lake, which is Lake Tixcoco, right? So they find this uh, this beautiful image, right, which ends up being on the Mexican flag, right? And um, in the middle of this lake, Lake Tashcoco, uh, they have they build their empire. So how they do this is they start to grow willows, right, on four corners. So imagine like four corners, you have willow trees, and the willows roots go all the way down into the ground, and then. Uh, on the willows, they start to mound mud, mound mud on, uh, in the in the middle of the root system of the willows, and then slowly, what what happens is it ends up becoming stable ground where they can actually plant crops. So they slowly, kind of like space by space by space by space, so space 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 space, start to develop land, right? And um, in these um, chinampas. They have these canals, so imagine like the canals of Venice, uh, imagine like the canals if you've ever been to Long Beach, right? But it's just agriculture, right? It's corn, beans, and squash. And then in the middle, in, in between are all these, um, uh, what are they called? Um, tilapia fish. And then they use the tilapia fish to add fertilizer to the, uh, to the growing medium, right? Which is the chinampa. And then eventually they have enough of these systems over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years where it develops into uh, an island, right? And then from an island, they still feed into the, into the entire city. So I, at the time that Cortez had first arrived there, there was a population of 500,000 people, which was the highest uh, population of any city at the time, right? And that was located in Mexico, right? Uh, and with these quote unquote savage groups, right? Yeah, so that's how they uh, function with the Chinampa. Right, and so you know that really is an entire society kind of built around the, the idea of um, you know food production, something that was you know very visibly uh, close to everyday life. So, what's the you know modern equivalent now? So, like, what are what are we looking at when we're talking about sustainable agriculture in the modern sense? In the modern setting, um, damn. Uh, well. Sustainability, depending on, depending on what you're doing, right? Like uh, with our system is so wasteful that it's really easy to be sustainable. Meaning like just by diverting our food waste, right? Uh, we can create enough compost to, um, to, f- to feed California, right? So I mean, okay, like, uh, so an equivalent case, you have, okay, like, like for example, you have, um, uh, was it Polymore Farms? There's a, with beef production, there's a place called Polymore Farms where they will rotate animals, right? And let's say they'll have a cow that will eat grass and then poops, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, the poop becomes manure for more grass and then what's even crazier is they have different varieties of grass to eat, right? And these varieties of grass are better for the cow's stomach. And better for taste. 
Oh, um, hold on a second. I think we're, we're losing the, the connection here. Right. And after university passed, right? And they will scratch into the poo for worms. Oh, so, sorry, right? I think uh, we, we lost you over here um, just a little bit. So we're going to have to go back right to the um, polymorph farms. I know you were talking about um, the various animals that they were cycling through the farm. So just uh, we'll have to <laughs> have to get back to that. Oh, no worries, no worries, no worries. Uh, let me just make sure I get the name correctly before I... Polyphase Farms, that's what, that's what it's called. Yeah, so Polyphase Farms. Yeah, Polyphase Farms. Uh, if you've read um, Omnivore's Dilemma, mm-hmm. um, uh, Polyphase Farms, They what they'll do is they'll actually have... Um, they'll start off with, with cows, or, and we'll actually they'll start off with grass. So they grow different varieties of grass, which is helpful for the for biodiversity. Right, so of like the soil, but also biodiversity of insects and whatnot. So they'll grow this grass, and then they'll have the cows run, go onto this grass and graze. And then when they graze, the cows, of course, will poop, right, and create uh, manure their, their own grass. And then they'll have chickens that will go onto the grass and scratch at, at the grass, and they'll eat the grubs, right? And uh, this entire system is actually one part of an ecosystem which looks at growing food as a as an ecology of things as an ecosystem right uh, instead of looking at how how it is how it's done currently right where even on the edges what they'll do is they'll have like this riparian land like this land that's used for um uh to house native native animals in those areas that will help buffer uh certain areas from um soil erosion and wind erosion right and 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 like just to to, that compared to just our current uh feedlots for beef are are ridiculous but in terms of um vegetable gardens or vegetable farms i would say just like uh what people are using are uh they're using um polycropping and polycropping is where you use where you grow more than one variety of food in the same area because, like, once again, kind of using the reference of driving up the five freeway, you drive up the five freeway, right, and you see just endless fields of one thing, right? Uh, but with polycropping, stable farming, uh, you use a variety of things that help with uh, companion planting. So some things might give better flavor. Some things might help with um, uh, divert um, with uh, how do I say <clears throat> uh, with pests, right? They'll either make the pests go away or they will. Um, um be like the food for the pests right uh what else what else is there uh like currently at, the, at our farm what we do is we do uh, uh intercropping or polycropping um and we also use um beneficial insects and we use beneficial um plants that will bring those beneficial insects and companion planting. So meaning like uh, we'll, we'll grow corn, beans, and squash together. So we have a squash harvest. Am I still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corn still harvest. There. Yeah, and, and beans. All in, the, all in the same area, right? So it's not just one thing. Then we'll grow like tomatoes with basil, right? Uh, so that they grow together. And then we'll grow a bunch of fennel, right? Um, so that the, that the fennel will... Um, Will attract ladybugs and uh, lace lacewing be- uh, lacewing bugs, uh, and um, let me see what else. What else? What else? So, like, uh, what's a good example? Well, I think you're you're, you're so right. I think. Uh, but, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was gonna say you're, you. I think you're providing a lot, a lot of great examples um, so far. Uh, but yeah, if you, you have that that final thought um, on that one. Uh, yeah, well, there's like uh, I think one of the most sustainable things you could do is is make it sustainable for people. Is putting the culture back in agriculture and putting the people back in it. Because if you don't know where your food comes from, then you the disconnection is um, the disconnection itself. I think is toxic. All right, so we we are right, not toxic, but you lose it. Okay. Yeah, so there there's something lost just uh, not knowing where it's from and not having that immediate uh, ability to to know how to grow. Uh, right, and there there's a sense of uh, um, at least for me, kind of in this discussion, there's like this tension. Uh, that we have built into our, our current system that is maybe economically efficient, you know, quote unquote again, uh, because you're able to, you know, get something, put a, a one tractor, one giant harvester, and then get a lot of food over this vast area. Uh, but it still has a lot of inputs. So the petroleum, the road network, the everything else that kind of gets, gets it from um, its place in the field to then to a dinner table um, after going through five to six or seven different steps versus something that's maybe more yeah. sustainable um, but not as easily understood, right? So it gets more complicated. So sustainability has a certain amount of complexity uh, built in. I think sustainability involves that you're involved. Like, it just means that you're not just going to a market and, and believing that um, all your food comes from a magical land grown in you know farmer john's lot it is an understanding of of where your food comes from it's an understanding that um that what you're eating is is nourishment for your soul you know um and even the process of getting it can be nourishment so i mean like why do you think okay like why do you think people go to farmers markets right they do it not because it's like like the, uh, I mean, it is. It's trendy, but it's because there is something that happens when you can talk with the farmer and mm-hmm. and experience um, experience that process. And the the crazy part about it though is that most of the good, the best farmers, are, and this is this is for Santa Ana. Most of the best farmers are your tios, and your and your tias, and your grandpas, and your grandpa and your grandmas. They know how to do this stuff better than freaking most people that grow the shit. Yeah, definitely the. You know, the so that's a that's major. Yeah, definitely the uh, the cultural uh, heritage there that uh, goes un- underappreciated uh, from a lot of our parents uh, and a lot of o- our elders uh, in the community. So, but you know, like I, I guess it's still like you know, for me the the question a bit there becomes, um, you know, we can talk about you know loving to do this and great, uh, you know, but for so many folks that have jobs or professions that are kind of outside the food system, like how. You know, what is it that they can really do that's still kind of within their schedule or, you know, something that doesn't require us going from like, you know, 1% of our population being farmers to like 20% having to be farmers with, with alternative uh, modes of, of growing. Yeah. Cause it's still like, you know, how do you, uh, how do you do it sustainably, but then without like increasing like that labor demand? Well, yeah, I, I don't think that, okay. Like, um, think about it, like going to the gym. Think about it like uh, not even like going to the gym. Think of it, of it as, as a as a recreation. Like when I first started doing this work in Santa Ana, there was like one there was one urban ag place, and it was visited by by most of the people in the neighborhood that could do it because you know what it was an awesome form of recreation. It was really mm-hmm. fun, and then you get to harvest stuff. Now there's like I think like ten community gardens in Santa Ana. There's like 
four or five urban urban ag places um and just think of it as you know as a recreational thing you can do right where um you you will be enriched by the experience you'll be enriched by the experience like and just seeing where things come from and um there's something really humanizing about touching the earth right and having it recognize who you are right and it does create this really sincere connection um that i think um that you can do easily in santa Ana now before you couldn't but there's uh, there's too many options even out, out at the at the heritage farm at the gospel song farm you know coming out there on the weekends like once all this stuff is over mm-hmm. um being able to to uh just touch the ground is really great right uh, but what can you do honestly just plant a seed just plant, plant any seed <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is where uh, people will be upset at me for my war on um, on lawns. You know, I find them very, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I guess wasteful is really the the term, right? It's you know, basically, you know, we paved over some of the most productive land um, in the United States, right? So you know, Orange County definitely having a history of you know, citrus and just overall agricultural <sighs> production, and you know, basically the thing that we grow now are housing units. Um, and everything else gets paved over, but you know those little patches that we don't you that we don't uh, pave over you know, for the most part are used as lawn, you know, decorative uh, element. Uh, versus what what I really enjoy in Santa Ana is you know unlike many other locations, you actually do find them turned into areas of, of productivity, right? So there are a lot of fruit trees or things that actually grow and they're edible in people's front yards, and I've uh, always admired those yards. I think more than the perfectly manicured lawn. Yeah, yeah, no, the, there, there is like a. I, I'm with you. I, I, I am not a big. I am not a fan of lawns. Like, uh, we live in a Mediterranean climate. We can grow anything in this area. Anything, avocados, tomatoes in November, right? We can grow anything. And what do we use it for? For housing tracks, for mini malls, and for green grass that requires petroleum fertilizers. And that's like, oh god, this is a nightmare. <laughs> so, no, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Manny. Yeah, no, like, uh, so yeah. So for me, I think the the main cha- challenge has been my dad really loves his lawn, you know, and he like he he works hard for it, and um, yeah, it's something that's uh, he, he enjoys. I think he's finally accepted uh, now. I think during the COVID stuff, we spent a lot more time at home, kind of working um on the uh, on the grass or not on the grass on the um just on the what is it uh, just doing plantings and gardening and stuff so he, yeah. he finally opened up to the idea of doing a fruit tree in the front lawn so i was like yes we might be able to get a fruit tree well yeah i mean it's the american dream right you come to this country immigrate over here and you want a lawn one beautiful lawn my mom had the same has the same thing with the roses in her lawn right uh but her backyard is uh full of moringa and avocados and grapes and um pears and as much fruit as she can take because she that's how she grew up too you know she grew up farming right and you know and for um, me that's the the wonderful experience of being able to to harvest something and then kind of distribute it and like have a reason to go visit family or visit friends so i know that's a pretty yeah. common experience yeah no i mean when you have a fruit tree that has more fruit than you can that you can take and more avocado trees like i'm really a big proponent for um trying to develop a uh an avocado association of Santa Ana. All right, well, right? I, so, I have, like, I have imagine, two trees, and uh, one of them's about to, to be ready. 
Well, I mean, think about this, right? So, is if I mean, honestly, the COVID virus is and climate change. This is going to really going to alter all of our existence. Like, this is going to connect to uh, major changes that we're all going to have to make. And luckily in Santa Ana, we have we've had so many farmers here that are the biodiversity. I mean, I, I wish I could do that study. Is a, is going out and like just just creating um, a profile of the biodiversity of Santa Ana, but uh, this area. Uh, is so biodiverse and the amount of avocados. I mean, even if even if they stop selling avocados, we'd probably have an avocado season. But we'd be able to probably com- compartir, you know, like right. compartir los avocados entre nosotros in, in between all of us, like develop a nice little union, maybe even make some money off of it. Yeah, no, and uh, I actually have a um, so one of my um, my sister's uh, pups uh, or dogs are named Rusty. He's a uh, he's a vegetarian basically because he just eats all the avocados <laughs> that are dropping from the tree. So like every time I go out there, I hear a thud, and then you just like see him like pick up the avocado and eat it. And he's like a, a very Californian uh, <laughs> dog. He's just uh, eating avocados out there all day. Needs <laughs> toast. Needs some whole wheat toast. Oh yeah, he's just he's just munching it, and he like nibbles on some grass, and then he just kind of like moves on and he's like super thin but our other dog that eats all the processed food is really fat <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean that's that's another major issue is like uh like that we're talking about like is the non non-communicable diseases like um like my fat my mom like was diagnosed with diabetes hypertension high cholesterol and um she was diagnosed with all this like in like three or four months you know and and this was like last year so i mean luckily like uh, we we um we caught it and hey, I always like to ask this question: What what kills more people, uh, cigarettes and guns or bacon? Oof, I'm gonna go with bacon. It's probably gonna be the bacon. Yep. Uh, so yeah, not non communicable diseases like food based illnesses, food ba- food food related illness uh, kills um, about 38 million people every single year. Diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. Yeah. So that's that's uh, that's more than that's more than this virus, right? And uh, the COVID virus. And uh, to think about that's happening every single year, annually, people die from our own food. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy to think about because I mean, what do they say? We have one billion people that are overweight. We have one billion people that are starving. Right. And then, then in between all that, they have people who are dying. All right. And that's that's pretty nuts. Uh, and it's all related because of this disconnect that we have to our food because we we don't we can't make our food decisions right. So there's um, have you heard of the omnivore's dilemma? Yeah, yeah. So the Michael Pollan uh, book you, you referenced it uh, earlier. I mean that's the the book, oh, but uh, there's a um, uh, the Paul Paul, Paul Rosen in 1976. Uh, he has uh, this idea of um, the omnivore's dilemma, which is this idea that. Uh, I, I think about this domestication of anything took a long ass time. I mean, it took a long time. It took like uh, finding out what what plant okay was not poisonous, wasn't going to kill you, right? Uh, was um, versatile. I mean, like it can make the, it can make tamales and cake, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, can be reproduced. That process to find this that seed that one seed right that one itty bitty seed right that can hook you up right this got one of my favorite ones the low bob oh, see you, you're putting it up there but remember we're all audio so we, we can't see you're gonna have to oh, describe sorry. we're gonna have to describe this oh. I, i'm seeing it but uh for the audience out there you have to describe the bean oh okay this is the the low bob bean which is like this 
big fat giant bean from um, Hungary. It's, it's, like, uh, it's, it's like the size bean. of your thumb, right? It looked, or at least the, the last little Yeah, digit. it's huge. It's gigantic. Yeah, and this this bean um, is uh, domesticated from another variety called Patole, right? But so, like uh, from Mexico, but then went to Hungary and then in Hungary developed into this. But what's crazy is somebody thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago figured out that let's grow this, right? And they figured out that you can eat that. So to figure out that, that um, to think about how, how that process has now become kind of like Frankenstein, right? Has become mutated into what we experience today in our food system with all these high, uh, high fructose corn syrups, hydrogenated things and this and that and highly processed foods, right? That in the end, it's not healthy for us. And it, and it robs us not only of, of our health, but it robs us of, of the culture associated with eating um, a meal that has like love. Oh, so sorry, Moy. It looks like the the audio is cutting out. So it's uh, let's see. So I think uh, Moy, the last thing that we um heard before the little audio cut off um was that it deprives us of something. I think that was. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, so just it just uh, deprives us of, uh, deprives us of, of this like greater connection, right? That we have to our food, right? So like uh, Paul Rosen that said this omnivore dilemma was this um, was part of our biological heritage, right? Was uh, was a unique cultural cuisine, right? Something that was that we uh, have done and we figured out to do uh, like centuries and centuries ago, right? Not not that, not that things change, but that we figured this stuff out and um, now we're kind of deprived of this of these love letters from our ancestors, right? We're deprived of this connection to these food items that, um, that honestly are like this a reflection of, uh, of this beautiful storied um, origins of our food. Right now, and I love that uh, that phrase, a love letter from our ancestors. And I think one of the stories you had communicated with me were the um, the beans that were uh, or the seeds that were there with on the Cherokee uh, Trail of Tears. Um, yeah, so yeah. I don't know if you, you can kind of recount that um, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So that we have, um, we have a. Uh, so when the Cherokee were moved from the southeast to Oklahoma, right? They um, they were forcibly removed by the army, right? And the uh, one thing that they had to bring with them um, was food, right? So the only thing that one of the only one of the only varieties of foods that survived was this black bean. Uh, and uh, they called it. Uh, they called. They renamed it the Cherokee Trail of Tears bean because it's uh, one of the food items that helped them survive during that tra- during the move from the southeast to over here. Right? And even crazier, there's actually a really cool um, connection to this idea of resiliency, right? And in, in food, right? Because uh, there's um, let's say there's the story of the not the story, but the what happened with African American folks when they were brought over here uh, on the slave trade. Now, being brought over here in the slave trade, uh, they lost everything. They lost hope. They lost them, their identity. Right? They lost uh, big parts of themselves. Right? But one thing they, that they that they brought with them was their food. Right? So um, when the enslaved women were first brought over. They would actually put uh, gra- grains of rice in their hair, right? And this is why, like, uh, a lot of the African American folks were brought to the Caribbean, 
right? When they're brought to the Caribbean, right? They this uh, rice was grown, right? And it was grown in abundance where it became a, a dish, right? And if you think about, uh, um, there's other seed varieties too, uh, like okra. Uh, certain greens, uh, black-eyed peas, pigeon peas, sesame; uh, those all have all become part of part of the dishes of the South, right? From gumbo to from the gumbo stew to the gumbo rice, right? And um, having those the those seeds in their hair or seeds that um, that they bring with them. Many are you there? Yeah, so it cut off at uh, I think the uh, seeds in their hair was uh, the last line. Oh, was the enslaved African American mm-hmm. folks, uh, or African American eventually African American? Yeah, but they would come over here and they would put okra seeds in their hair in their braids, and um, because of that, that ability to do that, right? They 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 introduced these for. Varieties like okra is found in gumbo, so are some types of, uh, of of chicken peas and black-eyed peas. So, like these varieties that they brought with them, uh, gave them kind of the resiliency to survive a later day when things would be better. Mm. Uh, and, and now it's part of their, you know, cultural icon. Right, and um, yeah, and what are the the projects I think we worked on uh, over time, or that we, we collaborated a little bit on? And uh, I was hoping you might might be able to get an update on it was um, you know, the seed banking and then kind of your efforts to go out there and actually randomly or just you know systematically go out to people's neighborhoods and, and talk to them about collecting their seeds. Yeah, I mean it. It was going well. It was going well, but I mean um, one thing about you know marriage and kids is uh you get distracted and you know uh, life what is it life gets in the way right uh and no no yeah so i was doing this project where i was walking around santa Ana and kind of like uh was that um oliver swift or was the guy oliver uh, twist Mosa. oliver twist Mosa, can i have some more i was asking for seeds all right uh but i was i was uh saying that we're gonna try to grow these iconic seeds right in our in a, at the heritage museum of orange county right at the gospel swamp farm and uh, yes, so I was going around and I collected a ton of seeds and I, there was a variety that I'd never been exposed to and that was super promising uh, and it was wonderful. Oh God, I loved it. And not only that, but I would be invited by like doñas, like these old ladies, oh, semillas, quieres semillas, mijo? De veras, por qué? Right, you know, like, you want some seeds for what reason, you know? And they're like, well, come in here. I'm gonna look, at, I'm gonna see what I have in my, in my pantry, right? And then I get served some mole. Right or some like um, something delicious. They happened like I was doing it for. Um, yeah, I spent about three months doing it, but then I had to cut off. I had, I had my son, and then that was like it was just too hard to do because I was still trying to help out with the farm and maintaining the growing process there. Right. But uh, no, it was really great. So if anyone's out there is interested in participating, um, I do have surveys and I'm just collecting stories. And the the goal is to try to develop like a um, connect stories to food. Recipes, but not to write down the recipes. Those are your property, folks. But to um, write down certain iconic ideas so that we can share them with Santa Ana, because Santa Ana is beautiful. Oh my goodness, especially when it comes to seeds and food. Uh, absolutely agree. And I think I, I was lucky enough to go out on one of those walks with you. I think just you uh, managed to hit about maybe three to four houses where people answered and had some seeds, and they were. It was uh, really. 
uh, a beautiful experience. Uh, there's no other way, way to describe it. And I think, um, you know, that ability to uh, visit your neighbor, to connect with them, to really, um, you know, feel a part of that, I, I think is, it, it's indescribable in many ways. And, you know, for me, one of the things that uh, we had in, in in our backyard growing up was uh, ganya, right? So sugar cane that would just you know, grow and had we had an entire row of it. Uh, but at one point, we basically I don't know why my uncle wanted we uprooted all of it because he wanted to expand the patio. Um, however, there was a branch of it that survived on our neighbor's lawn, our neighbor's yard in the back. So we managed to like get you know that sample and then replant it back in my backyard. So it's kind of this like cycle where your know, neighbors got it from us, and I was able to get it back from my neighbor, and then now we have another patch growing. And yeah, it's that kind of um, this medium of exchange that you know it doesn't make it. It's not necessarily any more special because it was from that one particular. Uh, um, plant but it is very much a, it's a clone right so it's an exact replica of the plant that i grew up eating so that taste of sugarcane is still something that i can get from my youth that's there in that one plant that's still growing now yeah um no i, I think like yeah no i, mean, I think it i mean it, it totally i think it shares uh like it shares the cold it shares what your parents shared right like my my mom she's from a place called the Wayaba ranch which is the guava guava mm-hmm. ranch in mexico and we have uh, three guavas from the guava ranch and the guava ranch right so uh, like there is a uh, kind of like Je- jeff goldblum life finds a way right <laughs> and culture culture finds a way you know like it finds a way through the food you know like it just ends up growing and um and just doing its thing and uh, that's like it's a real beautiful part of, of about i think growing is that there's so much just oh energy and symbolism and 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 uh, it feeds you, nourishes your mind, body, soul, everything, you know. And it's like all this great stuff that happens. And like, um, just to to talk about like one of my one of my favorite teachers, uh, Luisa. She's um from Pescatlashcala, and what she tells me, what she's shared with me, I, I, I'll never be able to um, to thank her for, because uh, she shared with me varieties of seeds uh, that date back seven thousand, eight thousand years. Right, and that uh, her community back in uh, in Tlaxcala are still growing, and these uh, traditions and experiences where the corn and beans and squash become uh, how do I say this symbols of resistance, symbol of family, symbols of of existence, right? Existence and resistance, right? Or she's she is my my favorite seed savior, you know. Um, she showed me these seeds that grow in her town, ranging in color from a deep dark purple to dark black to uh, candy cane colored to a dark red to blue. I mean, it's just it's like a um, this continuum of corn colors mm-hmm. and styles that they grow for different things. And like one of these varieties that they they will grow all these for this annual festival, and one in this archway they they map out the trajectory of a star, right? Connecting growing mediums to the you know to the uh, to astronomy, right? And then at the same time, there's one specific variety from her hometown that they grow for um, atole agria, right? It's a sour atole that's this deep passionate like purple right and how all these varieties have so much meaning it's just so cool yeah and now 
are these some of the stories I think that were might have been covered in that um, documentary that you were in? So that's a, another uh, thing to kind of point folks to was that there was an entire documentary uh, kind of yeah, based around some of the work that you had done and uh, some of the other work from other food. Um, I don't even want to say growers, but it's like it's much more of um, almost like uh, shamans, right? So you just like you have yeah. this this um, spiritual connection to the to the various. Uh, systems that are growing uh, in in the community and uh, there's a little yeah. documentary on it could, could you kind of explain what that documentary covered because i know yeah. there, i think there was a connection there yeah so it's um so it's uh semillas agents of the earth right uh so the reason we call the semi uh, agents of the earth is because um like uh, there's a term uh this concept in anthropology called agency where it's how you um how do you use your power right and how do you gain your power Right? How do you gain your agency? Right? So, like for example, we all have agency when we vote. So when we vote for you know November or um, you know um, in any elections, they become um, our ability to show our power. Right? Uh, and anybody who wants to show their power can do it through there. Right? So the folks who I work with, their agency, their power is through the earth. I mean that they use earth mediums like seeds, the land growing and they find meaning in that medium and that meaning, that meaning feeds them. Right. And they actually, it's almost like the Lorax type of deal. I speak for the trees, right. But they speak for the seeds. Right. Right. <laughs> right? So in that documentary, we highlight uh, beautifully done by, um, by Jenny, uh, steady Jenny and uh, Angie Velasquez, who are like the main editors for that film. And, uh, Jacob Velasco, who was uh, definitely helped out in a good way, and um, yeah, we we connect with these folks who they have this uh, I call it environmentally intimate knowledge, right? Where you f- you go out and you hug the land and you feel the embrace returned, right? Right, where the seeds and stuff and coat your 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 uh, your body and your stomachs, but also your um, your souls, right? So some pretty good stuff all right so yeah and then mm-hmm. <laughs> so you call it no no yeah so i i this is just uh, it's good stuff and i'm just uh you know thinking for anyone listening it's like um you know this is supposed to be a, a a politics and policy uh podcast but we really i think got into a lot of you know no near spirituality like but around food production because it is so intimately tied to kind of who we are as, as people in our culture um yeah, you know, but I, I I like this one exercise, uh, or I like to do this one type of exercise when I'm thinking about the the way the world should be, uh, rather th- rather than the way the world is. Um, and that exercise is uh, magic wand thinking. If you could, um, you know, use a magic wand and change anything uh, about the way that we do things, you know, what would that be? So if you had a magic wand, you can change anything. You know, what would that be? Yeah, yeah, uh, major uh, policy issues. Okay, yeah. So I used to sit on the the orange, um, the old orchard conservancy, right, which was trying to save uh, five acres of um, of orchard uh, off of Santa Clara and Grand, and the city was not having, especially Sarmiento, motherfucker. Um, nobody, nobody was backing us. So we were there. Uh, we were fighting that battle for five, six years, and we we're trying to have the uh, the the. Uh, so the story is the Sexlinger family had given this land to Orange Lutheran and to Concordia. And there's a man named Mike Gibbs, uh, who is uh, a, a, a monster for nature. Right? He is just not a good person. 
Um, and overhearing him, he's the head of Concordia and of um, uh, Orange Lutheran. And he said this, the problem you have is a problem of people with no money. Right. So we found uh, we had him in a court, a court battle for years and years and years. And there was no city council backing. Uh, and, and nobody wanted to back up what we were trying to do because we were trying to supply uh, Orange County with an urban ag center. Or at least Santa Ana with an urban ag center. So Santa Ana has one of the lowest uh, green um, access to green spaces, right? And that access to green space leads to diabetes, right? That's why we have 46.5% of all uh, people in Santa Ana who are uh, 18 or younger are obese or overweight, right? We need more green space. So we're trying to develop access to this. So um, they, I would like to have politicians that are uh, and councilmen who are pro- recognizing our need to change and to rethink our, our sense of ecology in Santa Ana because we need to rethink our ecology. We need, we need to rethink where we're at in the world, know that we're part of a system, give us access to those connections, right? Like in an urban ag space of uh, five acres, they wouldn't be able to grow enough food to fill a million people, but you can foster a million ideas, right? Now, in my... Um, in my head, what I would dream uh, for there to be is to be, um, well, first, we need to get those our farmers paid, right? You know, there needs to be advocacy for our farm workers because having them live in uh, uh, agricultural slavery is not good. Um, but you have to, in order to do that, you have to increase the access to urban spa- urban growing space, urban ag space. The more urban ag space you have, um, even if it's like just a quarter acre in every park, Right, a quarter acre in every park could lead to people being educated on where food comes from, and then they will start to develop. It'll grow organically, like no, no pun intended, but it will grow organically. Where people will start to think about where their foods come comes from, what is their um, what is their food process like, what is their food shed, meaning kind of to talk about that idea. We can get a chance to talk about this idea of food shed, where your food comes from, right? So, meaning just like a watershed. Right, a water. Uh, most of our water comes from the Colorado River, unless you live in Santa Ana, right? Meaning, all of Southern California gets most of its water from the Colorado, which pumps five point million acre feet of water over here. Right now, that water source is becoming unsustainable because of climate change. Right, just like that, our food shed functions in a similar way, where our food sources are becoming unreliable. Right, meaning that. Uh, currently we get our food from maybe on average about 1400 miles away, right? And to think about how it affects the environment, how it affects people and how it affects, um, the economy is important things to think about, right? Cause because it comes from so far away, the agricultural slavery is, is just, is lost to thought. So are the environmental issues with our food system. All right, so um, the only thing that it benefits us and maybe is equity, right? I mean, as, as the economy is our money, meaning that um, if we don't know where our food comes from and the interconnection that it has with other systems, then we are in greater danger as we move dangerously close to uh, the teeter-totter of climate change, right? Of whether or not we're going to make it or not, right? Um, if we have no understanding of the system if we can develop pockets of uh, understanding that we are an ecology, right, and have a greater sense of of that, develop more uh, um, uh, in terms of policies. To be my breakdown in policy, 
quarter acre of green space uh, at urban ag urban ag space in every park in Santa Ana or Orange County. Um, uh, a system like the recology system they have in San Francisco, which recycles every every bit of food from meats to veggies, um, have a seed bank that is open to the public where people can donate and explain stories related to their food, have the uh, Santa Ana Library and other systems that work on humanities work directly with people to develop intimate knowledge of the unique experiences of the immigrant population here. And city council people working for climate action, man. We need some people that are actually working for uh, working for a sincere policy against uh, that it's going to really um, affect the, our longevity in this area. All right, so that that's gonna be my my big my big pushes. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, it's all uh, I think you know, doable in our lifetimes, and without uh, people advocating or pushing, no, nothing will get done, right? So other, otherwise, the um, the power of the status quo to not move is it's it's great, uh, but it's not unsurmountable, right? There are changes that can uh, occur if there's enough uh, of a push behind it and a sustained uh, effort there. So you know, appreciate folks like you uh, going out and doing it. And, um, you know, even when we were talking, I think you had mentioned some global examples of places that are doing something interesting, right? Like, I, I so if I live in the city of Berlin, uh, I can go to an urban forest and hunt for boar. Is that is that correct? Is that um, they, they did such a good yeah. job. They literally have boar now in the middle of, of the city. Yeah, yeah. So actually, they, they need people to hunt more boar. <laughs> yeah, so we go to Berlin, you have people who are hunting boar right to um for their own consumption right uh if you go to detroit right detroit has urban ag um urban ag is just kind of in, uh ingrained into their new kind of uh, concepts of, of thinking right um if you uh, even even in california even in california right we have uh the highest amount of, of organic farms Right uh, of the total uh, organic farms that exist in the U.S., uh, we have something like um, hey, there are hold on one moment. Okay, yeah, we have yeah, there's four thousand certified organic farms in the U.S. and California is home of two thousand seven hundred thirteen of them. So we're doing some good jobs, doing some good work, right? Uh, or if you want to think about okay, other places that are doing this, like Japan has integrated. Um, vertical growing urban growing as part of and rooftop growing uh into most of the major cities so tokyo is filled with urban ag stuff um and yeah even even, even to this day the chinampas of xochimilco right the ones in tenochtitlan they still exist they're still there growing food yeah it's thousands of years and civilizations later yeah <laughs> pretty crazy nothing wow. that exist yeah um Hey Manny, can, can can we do like a series of these, or how does this work? Because I have like so much to talk about. Yeah, no, like, like I feel like I'm, I'm barely touching like I'm barely touching on some of these things, stuff, and I feel like it, sometimes it, it's a little bit uh, disoriented. No, like it's, it's it's a lot to go through. Don't get me wrong. Like I think that um, any, anyone listening to this one and uh, making it through uh, to this one is gonna be like, oh my god, like we discovered so much ground. Like you know, what can we dive into a little bit more deeply? So uh, we can definitely have a series of these. We, you know, love to have you back. Um, we were just going through you know, different issues uh, with, with different folks. Um, so if you if you're, you're game, I'm, I'm game too. We'll maybe uh, keep it more structured. If there's something else we want to you know, really dive yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would. 
Well, I mean, I think there's one thing is like decolonizing your diet, right? Like some people say that, like, and they it's so such a freaking like like Latinx cliche. <laughs> oh, decolonize your diet, man! It's like, but you go eat a fucking burger. You know, yeah. like, come on, player. Like, you're gonna eat your burger. You're gonna eat your burger, right? You can eat your burger, but make sure that some, like some of your diet is also actually really decolonized, <laughs> right? Now, like, there's a lot of folks who are actually doing these doing work, like the sous chefs and uh, Lakota with the Lakota land, right? So Sioux is like a pun, right? They're like uh, mm-hmm. Sioux is actually a derogatory word for Lakota, oh. right? And the Lakota folks, they're uh, decolonizing their diets, like introducing uh, like bison and berries and local beans and wild rice to their diets, right? Um, so there's a, there's a whole bunch of really great, uh, great um, sincerely decolonizing their diets. And, um and even like my, my homie Raul Medina, you know, the Vigna Vigna oh, yeah. uh, he's getting down, man. He's getting down. Yeah, no, and like he's that, doing his thing, you know, like yeah, and that was lying. So like, like he'd be a fun person to have on here. He'd, he'd curse, probably curse way too much to have him on. No, actually, I guess it would work out. We just have to have an explicit advisory uh, notice, I think, for that interview because I know he, like he curses all the time, and it's great. It's part of his personality. But the food that he does, I, I remember just like seeing lines and lines for. It's, you know, the pop-up uh, vegan Mexican. And it's yeah, delicious. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of a real, like, and the food scene is kind of an interesting thing because we have some people who hate on the, the faux meats, you know. Um, but for Mexicans, Mexicans who come from, like, certain parts of Mexico, like, they are they are faux, they are faux faux meat, you know. Right? They are for faux meat, right. And um, that's like, yeah, you need to have tacos, dude. And tacos usually would be Something meaty, right? You can't you can't have that many calabaza tacos. Yeah, they're they're, they're good. <laughs> I, mean, I love calabaza tacos. I think they're delicious. You know, we definitely want to have uh, some kind of like if you can to- if, you, if you can make tofu taste like media, damn, wow. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, it definitely it's ridiculous. is. Ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. It's good stuff. Oh man! Yeah. Well, well, like I don't like. Were there other areas you wanted to cover as well? I know we covered a lot, um, but yeah, for for those folks out there trying to get started in in urban agriculture, you know, where do they go? I mean, honestly, man, ask me, dude. I don't mind answering questions on on Instagram, Prof uh, Moises Placencia. I I love actually asking questions. Um, Go to the farm. We need tons of help at the Gospel Swamp Farm whenever we can go. And that's over at the Heritage Um, Museum. So, so where's that? At the Heritage Museum, yeah. Where where is it? That, that's located at um, it's a uh, where is it? It's located in Santa Ana, right? And it's a one eight one one eight eight one Harvard. Hold on, let me get the, get the address. Okay, yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah, um, it, it's on yeah Harvard and Fairview. Three one zero one Harvard. Three one zero one Harvard. Okay, so just like and for the folks right next to Godinez, right next to Centennial Park. Yeah, so Harvard, a bunch of support. Yeah, I think I'd want to go into um. I think like one thing is like just like thinking about biodiversity. Uh, just know this: making the decision to change one meal of your week will help out. Right? I think um, going into non-communicable diseases, right? The culture of eating is really important. But I think where I want to go to is uh, is thinking about recipes, but not not the ones that are written down because I don't like written down recipes anymore. I mean, I I still like them, but I think the ones that I prefer the are the experiential ones where 
this, where this is a pinch, right? <laughs> where you're making the pinching hand motion. Yeah. Okay. Yes. The giant, giant pinch. Right. Um, and I didn't want to go more to the environmental issues and the climate change issues with food. Um, cause you can face the challenges of climate change. So that's like what really scares me. What makes me, makes me sad for my kids is climate change and the need to create awareness. And speaking of my kids, I think they're calling me. Okay. Hi, Caleb. <laughs> okay. It's yeah, okay. Okay. Now, now that Caleb's on, I guess we have to let you go unless Caleb has okay. anything to say. <laughs> Caleb, me gordo. Give me Lucas. Go, Caleb. Give me Ruby. Give me Tiki Tiki. All right. I see Caleb. All right, Caleb. Yeah. Can you say hello, Caleb? Say hi, Caleb. Say hi. He's, a, he's busy eating he's something. Eating candy. He's eating candy. Oh, yeah, he's eating that, a that candy. That's definitely more important. Yeah, decolonize your diet. Okay. <laughs> right on. All right, man. I'll talk. To, I'll talk to you soon, Manny. All right. So, so that was interesting. Um, you know, thanks for joining us. I uh, really appreciate uh, you and the audience for taking the time out of your day to listen or di- uh, time out of your night or, you know, now uh, during this quarantine, it kind of all blurs together. So just thank you for taking the time uh, that you have uh, to listen to this and to join us uh, today on, on this episode. So uh, another uh, thank you to um, Edgar Silva over here at the Iron Lion, also slash Michael Scott Paper Company Studios, uh, broadcasting out of Santa Ana, California, our wonderful hometown. And uh, today uh, you are going to be listening to a little track by Carlton Fresh. So thank you uh, for providing that, a little bit of meditation that we all need um, as we go through this collective, or this experience uh, uh, collectively. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, keep your family close, uh, say, uh, you know, I love you. Uh, don't be afraid to pick up the phone or a text or, you know, whatever way that you want to call and, you know, contact some old friends. Uh, you know, now's a good time to catch up and to, you know, just evaluate what's going on in the world and to see how we can all make a difference. So uh, thank you all uh, for joining us. And again, any suggestions, uh, anyone who wants to be a guest, uh, anything uh, related to the city of Santa Ana in whatever way we can find to make it work. It's always invited. So, yeah, thank you again. And, uh, yeah, that's it for today. Just levitation. I need meditation. No hesitation. No drama, baby. No conversation. Hey. Just levitation. Hey. Just levitation. Hey, yo, talk to feel good. I don't want to feel bad. I'm going to run through this bag. I'm going to smoke this grass. Every gram turn ash. They ask me when I'm running from my look and laugh. I got my skate, king palm to the face, time to elevate Headphones and I'm one with a bass, mellow out for an hour, patios where I stay Medication